This episode of The Bryantland Show is brought to you by OnX Hunt. From Stone Mountain, Georgia, this is The Bryantland Show. Hosted by proud Gamecock and South Carolinian, AB3. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bryant Land Show, man. Thank y'all for taking the time, coming in, making that download, man. We got a awesome, awesome show today. Josh Crumpton from Spoke Hollow, Out, Spoke Hollow Outfitters is going to be my guest today. Uh, looking forward to catching up with Josh and sharing that conversation uh, that we had uh, with you guys, man. Just like I've been saying for the last few weeks, great time of the year, man. We turned the page. It's October. God dang, we're in October. Only, you know, November and December to go before we close out what has been 2020. Um but yeah, man, October gearing up, deer season in some places getting ready to start. Um, in a lot of the northern places, northern states, you know, our friends up north getting ready to pull out their bows for their bow season, getting ready to get started here in October. Full blast, full tilt down south here uh, for deer season. You know, we're going at it. Gun season, sheesh, not that far away around the corner for some places too so man just a great time like i've been saying for the last few weeks great time to be out in the woods uh one piece of business i want to take care of before uh i dive in to our guests this week want to send a big big shout out to the folks over at iris setter boots uh iris setter and the Bryantland brand, the Bryantland podcast, partnering together. Um, you know, just got a great partnership and got a wonderful pair of Elk Tracker boots uh, from the folks of our setter as a part of our partnership. Looking forward to running those. I already have a pair of their snake boots uh, that I run out when I'm hunting uh, as soon as temperatures get cool and get cool for good down here in Georgia I'm going to break in the elk trackers that I got from our setter can't really break them in yet still need my snake boots these rattlesnakes these cotton mouse all these you know poisonous snakes out here in Georgia nothing to play with so still need to get a little bit cooler and even still I got to be careful Cause you know, the, those varmints are um, they sometimes, especially with the weather down here, they don't ever seem to go away. So you got to be careful, but nevertheless, moral of the story, looking forward to partnering with Iris set of boots. And like I said, thank you for the uh, elk trackers and looking forward to the great things that are come that are going to come from our partnership. Now, as for my guest, Josh Crumpton, like I said, we've talked before. He's back. He's doing 
a monstrous, hellacious road trip, if you will, where he is out there roughing it, living, you know, not a whole lot of uh, lodges, maybe a lodge here and there, but mostly a lot of camping, big road trip, doing fly fishing, upland bird hunting, uh, promoting diversity, inclusion, and conservation in the outdoors, the uh, sporting diversity, diversity, sporting diversity road tour 2020 um, is what we're going to be talking about with old Josh. And then he's also got a podcast that is going to document this road trip, uh, the sporting diversity podcast. So I really enjoyed talking to Josh about this. And then we finally get into a conversation about fly fishing, which we were supposed to do the first time he came through. We did not do it. We get into it a little bit this time. So without further ado, I've talked enough. I'm going to move out the way and let you guys listen to my conversation with Josh Crumpton from Spoke Holla Outfielders in Wimberley, Texas, the Sporting Diversity Road Tour 2020 here on the Bryantland Show. Bryantland. All right. Second time around. Well, third try, second time around. We're going to try to get this podcast laid down with my guy, Josh Crumpton from Spoke Hollow Outfielders. If you go back to episode 78, he was on there earlier, and we were talking about everything under the sun except fly fishing, I think. And then this time around, you are on the Sporting Diversity Road Tour 2020 where you are basically gone for the next 30 days, the whole month of October. And like I said the other day, at last count, you had 10 participants, 14 sponsors, and only two days off. That's kind of swole now or big swelling in the number of sponsors you got dogs you got porta potties you got everything going on josh how are you on this sunday morning are you fatigued yet are you still amped what's going on down there <laughs> so this sunday morning uh marks i think day day three okay day three on the road so you're catching us early on so i'm not fatigued yet um Eventually it might come, but, uh, <laughs> you know, day one, we left Texas late and, um, kind of give me a recount of where we've been. So we left Texas late. So we didn't get as far as we wanted to on day one. Um, we're running about five hours behind, but, you know, what we're essentially doing is we have a caravan of, of trucks and trailers and so my buddy Davin, who's with me, is driving his truck. He's got a cargo trailer behind it. It's got gear, and it's outfitted for him to sleep in. Um, my my Suburban is outfitted for, for me to sleep in the back of it, and I have a a trailer that has four holes. It's a four-hole dog compartment trailer, and I'm, I'm towing, um, you know, four dogs, um, which is kind of like the equivalent of, like, 200 pounds of dogs. Wow. Um, I'm I got their dog food. Um, I got that Yukonuba dog food, the sporting dog, the new stuff, in the trailer, and um, and then I'm loaded down with 
you know, we've got about six or seven shotguns with us. We've got, I don't know how many fly rods. I mean, you're prob- probably in the like 12 different types of fly rods with us. And all of the upland hunting gear you can imagine. And we're, uh, we're making our way across the country, visiting friends and um, fly fishing and upland hunting and talking about diversity, inclusion, and conservation. Man, that sounds so awesome because in you're basically you're taking a social uh, a social event like you know fly fishing and upland bird hunting, but then you know brainstorming. It's like getting a collective a uh, collective of people together and just brainstorming and talking about ideas and going to come away with just new ideas and new ways to grow the hunting community. And like you said, to have more inclusion and more diversity, man, that, it, it's phenomenal. Um, we're pretty excited about it. You know, I, I, I failed to, to address one of the questions you asked earlier. We've, we are now up to about 30 participants and about 20, um, maybe 22 sponsors shortly. Some people jumping on as we're on the road, you know, this, this bandwagon will slow down for people to jump on and support. And <laughs> we'll also slow down to visit people along the way too. somebody jumps in and says, Hey, I see you're coming where I'm at. Come on in. And, uh, I want to talk about diversity, inclusion, and conservation. Man. And then, so still, but still only two days off. There is only two. Uh, no, I don't think we have those two days off. anymore. <laughs> 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 I mean, what we have found is so we've got. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention the the third team member who's who's actually along for the entire time. My friend Davin's gonna peel off a little early on me, but but Matthew Hartman is our um, media manager and assistant manager at Spoke Hollow and photographer and um, videographer and audiographer. If that's a thing, he's <laughs> wear a, many he's hats. A, yeah, man, he wears a lot of hats and he runs and guns everywhere with me. He's a young guy, he's about 22, 23, might be 23 soon years old. Oh. And um, he's along for the whole ride. And, um, you know, it's it's great having somebody who's like that. But what we didn't calculate is, man, I'm rolling and he's in the truck next to me and he's getting podcasts and photos while we're driving. Wow. So there's no doubt, no downtime, man. You know, and I'm listening to cuts, and we're and we're working even while we're even while we're rolling. And but that's the thing that's so cool about this because, and I may be naive. I hope, hopefully, I'm not mis uh, misspeaking, but I don't know of any podcast that is just basically a continuous road trip. Like even even if there is, I definitely don't know of any outdoor podcast that is just basically documenting a road trip as it's happening. You know, usually you'll go back, you'll get like a narrative or something like after the fact, but you guys are going out, doing your activities, networking, getting in some hunting, like you said, talking about inclusion, diversity, conservation. So, you know, there will be resources and, you know, so this whole hunting thing will be here for the next generation. And then you're putting out a podcast every day while you're doing it, man. That, and it's phenomenal. Like I said, I just, I just keep coming back, I know, to the same adjectives, but that's the only way I can describe it. It's like it, it's phenomenal. You know, it's exciting. 
I wish I could have joined at least for one leg of it, but man, like I'm just excited to hear about the podcast because every day the podcast that drops is basically the like documentation of what just happened. Yeah, so it's kind of we're running, we're running what we're easing into. We knew we'd have a buffer, and we were anticipating a 24 to 48 hour buffer, just time to process photos and content and those things before we before we launch something out there. And, and it's turning out that it's it's going to be a 72 um, hour buffer. Okay. Our first podcast will be dropping today, which is uh, Sunday, I think the third or the fourth, the fourth. So um, this this will be when our first one goes, um, but um from that point it sh- we should be pretty consistent each day you know and our first day well like i said we <clears throat> we slept in brownsfield texas in a city park and i'll tell you you know to to, to tell the listeners we're going to stay in some really beautiful places along the way and we should cover what our itinerary is but so far as of our third night um we have spent a total of two dollars per car Wow. Um, sleeping. So, I mean, you can do this, you can get out here and do this. And it, the time finding the time is a bigger thing than actually funding it. Once you have, you know, whatever amount of gear you need, which really isn't a lot, if you really want to do this, because we're, we're, we're literally sleeping in the back of our vehicles and staying in national forest and on BLM land and include even some, there are city parks throughout the country, um, in smaller towns that have free, places to stay and that's kind of the point of why we want to do it this way now granted we're going to be staying at one of the finest wing shooting lodges in the country along along here and and it's nice and they have like six million count sheets there and we're looking really forward to that wow well i was about to say especially after you start out kind of roughing it uh by the time you get to that lodge man it's going to be like staying in the taj mahal Oh man. Yeah. Like a solid, good, like shower that it doesn't have anything to do with jumping in a freezing river <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or, or a wet wipe, you know, wipe down. Right. Yeah, man. Uh, it's funny. Cause I didn't even know there's such a thing as 6 million thread count sheets. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I see it, like, it, you know, you go to Walmart or whatever and you see the thread counts and you're like 800. I'm like, oh, man, these are going to be. I, like, I, I, they probably are just 800, but they're going to feel like 6 million. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, now, what is, uh, and I have to admit, I don't, I don't know this. You mentioned just a few minutes ago BLM uh, forests. What are what are the BLM forests? Yeah, so the National Forest, and then there's BLM land, and BLM is the Bureau of Land Management. Okay, and, um, these are large tracts of land, um, predominantly, <clears throat> I think, dotted across the West, and these tracts of land. Um, are and i'm going to answer very limited because actually we're going to have a day where i get educated a little bit deeper on this but my understanding in my time is that the blm land has less of a plan and regulations to it than say national forest okay and as you're moving through the system you have your state parks and your international and your national parks yep those typically have rangers attendants um, slotted camping spots that you can pull back into and they have power at them. Right. And they're, they're usually very much make a reservation and here's where you stay. They have trails. 
those trails are cut those trails are maintained um, you can run run across those trails and follow them to the places that you want to go then you have the national forest and the national forest does not usually have a check-in station some of them do have a headquarters where there are national forest rangers as well on those on those areas right um you will have some dedicated camping sites, but they're usually not quite as improved as what you find in the state parks. You may not find power as often in the national forest, mm. um, but but you can, and you typically don't have to make a reservation or check in. You can just usually pull over and park and camp, and it's usually most times free in a national forest to park and camp. You can also primitive camp in a national forest hiking in really pretty much anywhere you want to, although you are encouraged to find already established campsites, primitive campsites. Right. Then you have the Bureau of Land Man- Management. Look, you put in a nickel and you got back like $50. Then you have the BLM. <laughs> and, and the BLM uh, land is is where there are usually not trails, whereas in National Forest, you will find trails or trail crews. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. BLM land, you typically do not find trails you can pretty much camp anywhere that you want in BLM. You are always encouraged when you're camping on our public lands to find a place that looks like it's already had a firing or has been used in the past. But BLM is more the, the wild west of, of our public lands where you really can get out there and you're, there's no real established trails. It's very limited. Now, the spot that we are specifically at today is um, outside of Pilar New Mexico, which is an area where the Rio Grande um, starts flows through New Mexico, and it flows through a large gorge or a canyon. And um, we were inside that canyon fly fishing yesterday, and that's where we're posted up right now on this BLM land. Nice, nice, girl. Yeah, because I I wanted to get the understanding of, it, and I wanted the listeners to understand because I know sometimes, especially with everything that's going on, it's like you know you say BL. BLM, <laughs> and then, you know, I guarantee you, before we explain it, I guarantee you there's somebody that's like, Black Lives Matter has land, like, oh my God, what is it? <laughs> like, I, I guarantee you that whatever yeah. side of the equation you fall on, I guarantee you somebody was like, you know Black Lives Matter has land? So that's why I was like, okay, hey. I, I, what is what is BLM, but... <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? For that, for anybody who was thinking that, I will tell you that's the other kind of BLM land, which is anywhere my two feet are standing. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> you know, I wanted you to. We were talking a little bit earlier, and you know, I've always, you know, said that you know I got into this late. I got in the outdoors, you know, later in life. You know, I enjoy it and whatnot but you were telling me about like where you're at like looking over the Rio Grande Valley and the only thing that I could think about is the sunset or the sunset or but especially the sunrise like this morning being where you at give a description of exactly where you're at now so where I'm at now is um to the to the east of me, there's a, a mountain range. Um, I I don't know what range this is exactly. I don't know if this is still the Sangre de Cristo up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sun just rose over that mountain range. Um, my car 
is parked in a little area that is mostly scrub brush, sage. There's nothing tall. There's no trees. Okay. I'm on the top of like a high desert. Um, and where I was, where, where, where I slept at, um, which is very short from where I was, I had to drive a little small distance to get better reception, but, but a hundred yards from me is where I was parked. And my dog trailer, 10 feet behind that was a 1000 foot sheer cliff drop mm. into a Canyon. And at the bottom of that Canyon, the Rio Grande is just wiggling like a snake back and forth down wow. there with the most beautiful, clear, clear water that you can count the stones on the bottom of it. And <laughs> most importantly, it has trout in it. <laughs> <laughs> is that where y'all going to be fishing later today? No, we fished there yesterday, actually. So, um, you know, and uh, actually, I'll tell you a little bit about yesterday, but I'm, I'm going to take a side trip here real quick okay. and tell you about, you know, because we were talking about how the 6,000 thread count and all the things, you know, and kind of how we're out here roughing it right now. Right. But I have to say, you know, one of the things that's really nice about a thousand foot cliff wall drop off and in the river down below you is, you know, everywhere I go now, when I was younger, I used to have to dig a hole to make a bathroom. But now that I'm older, I highly recommend bringing a portable John with you, you know, with the fold out legs and everything. That is bananas. because, oh, it's, it's so nice though. They got this little, they got little attachments, a bag, you know, all this stuff. They're wonderful. So you got, you got, you have a toilet seat with you. And, and one of the things about camping is, is, you know, when you're out here this long with a group of people, you, you don't get shy about talking about, you know, all of the necessities, the things you have to do in life. Right. So, right. so this morning. As the sun was rising, I set my portable John up uh, on the edge of a thousand foot cliff, and uh, with the real Grande underneath me, and and that's that's where I started my day. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was it's that moment where you're like, I'm roughing it, but this ain't that rough. This is pretty nice. Wow. And uh, <laughs> I wound up I wound up of all things I can't even believe I'm going to tell this story uh, on this podcast, but I wound up of all things. I was thinking about those pictures that the that the girls on Instagram always put, post of them like on the beach with their legs. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, and and the, on the sand. So so I got out my camera and I took a picture of my knees. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm not gonna post it. I won't. I won't torture the world's eyes like that. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm still stuck on starting today. You know, over a thousand foot drop cliff. I mean, I don't even know if I would be able to do anything because my ass would be so tight just worried about falling, you know, over the cliff or whatever with a thousand foot drop. Jesus. You know, there was a little bit of a slope that angled the car back towards the uh the, the cliff but as I slept in the evening. <laughs> I just I did I did wake up a few times with the thought of, Man, what if my brakes give out? Okay. And I, I made some game plans. I was like, okay, I got to jump to the front seat, turn the car on, and hit the gas. You know? <laughs> I mean, unless so, you're like the $6 million man, I don't know how you're going to do that fast enough. Before. No, no. So, the, so, so then I realized that I might not be able I might not be able to make all those things happen. So I may, might just have to jump out of the car. And I was like, no, but but my dogs. And then my my, my Matthew He's bivied. He he has chosen to sleep staring at the stars. So he's got a bivy and he's sleeping on top of the of the of the 
of the trailer. And so I was like, man, I'm going to have to yell, Matthew, jump, roll. Oh, you know, my anyways. God. <laughs> so, yeah, when you're near a cliff like that, it gives you a little bit of walking up to it. kind of gives you a, a feeling in the pit of your stomach and a little, just a little head swoon, you know, um, until you until you just adjust to that height. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, you, you just adjust I, to it. I don't know if you could adjust. I, a couple of years ago, we – we went riding through. It's funny I was, when you were talking about the national parks. Um, the one thing I kind of do like about it is the ones that have ATV trails. You kind of just go, you stage your, you know, your vehicle and you, your trailer, and then you just get off the ATV and you just get on the trails. Like there's no, you know, like you said, there's no check-in station, no, you know, no really hard regulation. And they, those, those trails are are real, are really uh, well maintained but anyway so we were in tennessee and we were riding and there was one trail that basically leads up to this cliff and it's beautiful like i took you know me and my son we took pictures and everything i mean it's beautiful but if you look down it's the tennessee river and buddy it is a long ways <laughs> to the tennessee river and there and, and there's no guardrail. like if you go to the top of the stone mountain here in georgia like they have a little bit of a little rail that's kind of like a suggestion, like, hey, don't, you know, bring your ass too close or, you know, <laughs> like that. But there was no, like, that was as natural as natural can get. If you get up there, you know, pussyfooting around, it would be a, a long drop before anybody even knew what happened to you. So <laughs> I don't know, man. Like I said, it is beautiful, but you definitely, you, you, you step with caution. Yeah, you do. You definitely do. You know, and you had asked, so when I was looking down there, I was thinking about yesterday. You'd asked if we were going to fish down there today, and we're not, but we did yesterday. We went down there, and we visited with um, a friend of mine, Nick Strait, and uh, he brought along his partner, Ivan, and Ivan brought along uh, a gentleman by the name of Joe. Okay. And we sat next to the Rio Grande River and had one of the best darn, just an excellent conversation, you know. Um uh, Ivan is, you know, what did, what did, what did, uh, what Edgar, who's along on this trip with us, my friend Edgar Diaz, he owns a company called Sightline Provisions. And he is, um, he's Latin. And, um, and Edgar called Nick, uh, redheaded Jesus. So Nick is a guy, he's a tall guy. He's got a big red beard, you know, and if you first looked at me like, Hey man, look at that hippie. Uh, he is a great guy. His, 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 his partner, Ivan, um, is, is Hispanic and, um, they own a fly shop together in Santa Fe. Okay. Uh, Nick also owns a fly shop in Taos and Nick and his dad are both sort of legends in their own right in the fly fishing world. And then their friend Joe that they brought, um, is a governor of a Pueblo here in, in New Mexico. Oh, wow. So and Pueblo, we had the Pueblos just for everybody. It's like the version of a city, version a city or a county. It, it's actually it's a reservation. Res he, he's okay. a governor. He's a governor on one of the reservations out here. Got it. So you know you've got my friend Edgar, um, who's from L.A. You know he's he's Hispanic and he's from L.A. You've got Ivan who grew up in Arizona um, and and owns a shop with Nick who grew up in new mexico and then a governor um on a reservation wow and and we all sat down and 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 then we also have my friend davin who's a whiskey distiller 
and then myself and and you know everybody's sort of like you know edgar has his business sightline provisions he's in the fly fishing world really deep but you you had seven people and four of us were brown <laughs> you know and that's that doesn't happen very often when you're talking about the outdoors. It, it's crazy, right? Just to, just to sit around and just have, you know, the different conversations and the different thought processes, but bring all those people together because of the love of being outdoors. Yeah, and we had some deep conversations, and I will tell you, it was pretty cool. You know, I wish we'd go a little bit deeper into in Nick's conversation, but Ivan's probably one of the few, you know, Hispanic fly shop owners in the country mm-hmm. and not many fly shop owners that are brown. So he's, he's, he is one of the few people. And then, um, you know, Joe having his perspective of the indigenous peoples to America and their connection to the land. And, um, you know, that was a really amazing conversation and and one of the surprises out of this conversation that we were talking because we 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 targeted and and talked about racism and we talked about how we can increase inclusion and one of the most surprising elements that i wish we dove deeper into was nick a redheaded jesus (laughs) and you know and he said he said um i and the minority in New Mexico. And he's right, he is. Mm. And he talked about places that he didn't feel safe going to fish without maybe having his buddy Ivan or his buddy Joe with him. And, you know, it was a very, he has a very interesting perspective on everything because he is a white male who can understand what many people of color feel in certain parts of the country to go do things in the outdoors. Right. It was, it was a, it was a powerful moment that we all shared and it didn't just center around Nick's experience because definitely we talked about Joe came late in life to fly fishing mm-hmm. and he taught, he talks about how he thought fly fishing was just white people's sport and that he was intimidated and he walked into Ivan's shop, the real life in New Mexico looking for a fly rod and he's looking at Ivan and he said, I started looking around for the owner of the shop. <laughs> and I was like, and there you are with your own prejudice. Yep. And that, uh, <laughs> it's like I, I I always say to people, like, it, it ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like, when you experience that, you know, for yourself, then it's a little bit more eye-open. It's a little bit more real to you. And it's like, okay, now I can understand you know, where hopefully if you, you know, if you're a person that, you know, can empathize and then process that information, you know, you're like, okay, now I, I, I can get it. I can kind of understand, you know, where where someone is coming from. But everybody, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't have that perspective or, or have that level of empathy. So, but I, that's, that's great that, you know, y'all can sit around and have that conversation and have the different perspectives and people's eyes be open. It's like, oh, okay, you know, you, you see where we're coming from now. Yeah, um, and then at the end of having this beautiful conversation, I mean, we were all, we are bonded after about an hour and a half. It's about how long that, that, that podcast will be when it comes out. And uh, then, then we went fishing. Nice. <laughs> and then the fishing happened because we were right there 
on the banks and everybody had their fly rods already and we just jumped in and we started fishing i didn't fish actually i sat back and kept talking with nick and all the other guys <laughs> fished and you know and then we drove up here and we camped at this at this spot you know and it, it was amazing and in contrast to the day before the day before our first real day on the road we met in uh, the Sangre de Cristo Mountains in, in, in a little bit south of here, down by Santa Fe, to the east of Santa Fe, New Mexico. And we went and visited a cold water conservation um, site with Trout Unlimited. Mm-hmm. And, and we toured a spot where they're diverting the river and they're getting ready to reintroduce native fish species into that part of the river. Mm. Um, but we had a conversation with those guys about you know, what native fish mean to the economy, the ecology and mining and how mining can have, uh, uh, have a huge impact in a negative way on the streams and stream health. And then we, we hiked up a really small stream and we went fishing for, um, native, uh, cutthroat, real grande cutthroat. And, um, again, I, I was sitting back talking while the guys fished I got to change this theme. This cannot be the way this trip goes that I'm back talking while the guys well, are fishing. I was about but. to say, you got to you gotta get your get your rod in the river there, man. Like I, you. I know, I do. I do. I know, I really do. I, I think today's the day. But what's so cool is yesterday we talked about diversity on a deep dive. And then the day before we talked about stream ecology and the health of stream ecology. But guess what? The health of stream ecology is tied to the diversity of the stream ecology mm. and the more diversity we have utilizing the stream the more protection that stream has by more voices from different walks of life see see how it all you ties know. together it's, it does man it's bananas so it is let let's go back to the beginning because i know you said you and your and your buddy kind of put this excuse me, kind of put this together, where, like, what was the epiphany? Like, what was the aha moment? Like, you know what? We should do this trip. This is what it should be about. Like, how how did it come together? So, you know, this, tri- this trip almost didn't happen, actually. And so what, what, what happened was uh, a little bit after uh, that, that beautiful day in May where the voice – groundswelled on Instagram and positive things and conversations started to come, come out of very negative events where, where the, the America was being forced to have a conversation on race. Um, and we had that blackout Tuesday. My friend Davin and I, a couple days after that, we're sitting on the, on the um, porch at Spokala ranch and we were drinking some beers and we were just talking and I was like, man, how cool would it be if like you and I, you know, you know, you're, you're a white male and, you know, I'm a biracial male. And how about what if the two of us just jumped on the road and drove around and and led by example and showed that people of all looks can be in the outdoors doing things together and, you know. And, and make some and make some noise so that people will pay attention to it so it'll get shown and lead lead by example. And Dan was like, Man, that's a great idea. And then we had a couple more beers and the idea kinda <laughs> faded away. 
<laughs> um, but but then uh, I met a good friend of mine, Ryan O'Shaughnessy, who's from South Africa, and he runs Gun Dogs out in West Texas. And he and I were drinking some beers. <laughs> Notice the the there. reoccurring like, theme of beer. The reoccurring theme of drinking some beers. And uh, we were getting to know each other better, and we were super excited about how much we liked each other. And so it's like, man, hey, I got this idea. I want to run around the West and and talk about diversity and just just lead by example and just really get out there and have some deep conversations and organically see what comes up. You know, I've, I've always wanted this to be organic. And he was like, that sounds like a really good idea. Let's just do it. And then we were like, yeah, we're going to do this. And like, we had another beer. And we're like, dude, we are so doing this. And so then I started <laughs> calling people, you know, uh, I called my buddy Darrell Smith, who's over your way. Um, if you don't know him, you should know him. Uh, he's got a podcast called the gun dog notebook. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I called Darrell and I was like, Hey Darrell, man, let's go hunting out West. Come on. And he was like, I'm having a baby in October, man. And I was like, Oh, well, that's a bummer. No, I mean, congratulations, Darrell. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's amazing. Takes Maybe you out of the trip. <laughs> it's a bummer. It takes uh, you out of the trip, but Oh yeah. Congratulations on the baby. Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so, but anyways, Darrell and I've talked a few times and, um, leading up to this, we talked actually quite a few times. So, and then I called my friend Ed Anderson, who's an artist out West. And I was like, Hey man, we're going to come hunting with you, uh, out in Idaho. And he's like, okay, come on. And we started calling. So we called a bunch of people and made a bunch of plans. And then all of a sudden we were like, Hey man, did you ask your wife about this? And he's like, no, no. <laughs> I was like, Oh, uh, and all of a sudden it went from the conversation went from like, we're going to do this to like, well, oh, man, maybe I'll see if I can, we'll see if we can make it happen. And you know, but, but I'd already called so many people that uh, what would have happened is I probably wouldn't even have the courage to ask my wife. Yeah. Um, at that, at that point, you just kind of had to force the hand. It's one of those, uh, what is it? Uh, ask for forgiveness later. Like just do it and yeah, then ask for that's forgiveness. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I worked up the courage to kind of tell my wife a little bit about it. And she was, she was pretty supportive because she is, if anybody, anybody knows Jeannie knows she's one of the most supportive people out there. Um, but then the real the the tipping point because the the trip still could have like just dissolved right um into like well we got busy i got this to do that to do but the tipping point was that uh, i was talking to a friend of mine reed bryant over at orbis and and um we were having a separate conversation about some other stuff and he was like hey this guy walked into my office from the catalog and marketing department and was like have you talked to to josh you know we want to do some upland shoot stuff and we'd all met at pheasant fest and uh, I want to do some upland hunting, shooting stuff uh, for the catalog. And Reed was like, well, yeah, I did talk to Josh. And actually, I told him about the trip idea. And he said, he's going on this amazing trip with with Ryan O'Shaughnessy, who's an Orbis endorsed wing shooting guide. And he's like, we could, they're going out west. We could shoot this thing. And so then I got this, well, Orbis is thinking about shooting part of their catalog on this trip. And, and they still are. I don't know if they'll use it or not. Who knows? I didn't know that they were in the market for for husky middle-aged men in their catalog, but you know, I mean, <laughs> um, authenticity, you know. brother, authenticity. <laughs> so, so they, uh, so then they called and were like, Hey, so we're thinking about meeting up with you somewhere out there. And then, then the trip got real. Cause now we're like, well, now we've like put it out there. We've committed to it. It's a thing. We called all these people. We got Orvis who's scheduling something. And then the back out factor just sort of went away. Right. So, you know, that's that's how it started and that's how it got locked in man 
yeah, because once you get the if you get the ball rolling and you get enough steam going, then it's just like all right, it's to the point of no return. Yeah, and that's what happened is we started after that point we started calling people and we're like, hey, you know what? Why don't we get people out there? And mostly we were we we're looking for sponsors, not not to write us checks because we we're going to do this trip anyways. Sure, but we were looking for sponsors to help us amplify the voice and spread the message. Right. And and so we started calling people. And they were like, yep, we're in. Yep, we're in. Yep, we're in. And we're like, oh, man. And then we started filling in days with, okay, we have a hole here. Let's stop there and do this. And and uh, I, I feel like I'm riding on a wave, honestly, to tell you the truth. Um, and it's a beautiful wave, and I'm really enjoying it. Well, I can't imagine what it's like to have, like, that vision um, of something like that. Like you said, just a conversation between friends over some beer. And to have that vision and now to be in it as it's going on, I can only imagine what it's going to feel like once it's over and you look back at it and you see all that you accomplished, not only with what you started out with and saying, let's do this and this, but what you pick up along the way or what may happen, you know, along the way, because obviously, you know, it's not going to go strictly A, B, C, D like you plan, like you're going to pick up you know, experiences, conversations, you know, what have you along the way. So then when you get to the finish line and you look back at it, you're going to be like, some bitch, this was actually a pretty good thing. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm hoping. But hopefully you and I will talk at that point and, we'll, and you can confirm those, whether that's true or not. Because, you know, I mean, you're, I, I would love to check in with you at any point in time along this trip. We're on day three of what's going to be about 22 to 25 days. I'm keeping it loose. Um uh, I know I have to be back in Texas by by a little before October 31st so I can get my quail camp set up well, that, in West Texas. Okay, because that was going to be my other thing. Like, what's the what, what's going on with the outfit while you're going? Like, do you have somebody like taking over for you? Is there are you still no. running the fly fishing trips? Or you kind of like took like your self imposed vacation while you're doing this? Or what? No, there's still fly fishing trips going on. Um, so I've got guides who are still down there running fly fishing trips. Now we're not doing any upland hunting, but I typically don't do upland hunting during this time of the year because, um, which this, this is actually probably one of the biggest demand times of the year. I, I should upland hunt, but I've got, um, some whitetail, um, leases on the ranch that are on my seasonal lease. Okay. And I allow, I allow them to do their archery hunting during this time of the year and try not to disturb things too much. And I want to make sure that they all get their the, the bucks that they want gotcha. before. So this is a good time for me to be away with the dogs. And, and also I'm running the dogs on wild birds and I'm running them in bigger country. And we're just kind of exercising and getting ready for, for a long season of upland hunting in Texas. See, that's what I need to do. And, and I'm, I'm horrible about this. Like how you planned out this, you know, trip i think what's starting back in may and you kind of like you know planned it out and whatnot like i'm a horrible long-range planner like if i was smart right now i'd go ahead and figure out how to make plans to do a combo like whitetail fly fishing kind of deal down there with you in texas and we say okay hey it's going to be this this and this but i'll look at the calendar and i'll be like okay Sure. And then it'll go by. Then I'll get caught up in the seasons. Football rolls into basketball, rolls into baseball, summer kids. And the next thing you know, it's September, October. And I'm like, shit, 
I really would like to go to Texas. <laughs> so, maybe, maybe we need to call Sitka and get them to commit to doing a cattle hawk with you. <laughs> you know, maybe cool you. Maybe we get somebody on, and then that'll be your hard your hard stop to make you make it happen. You know, but you know what? <laughs> I really would like someone along championing um, big game hunting. And so I'm going to put this out here and tease it to you because this is, this is not something we've talked about. I don't talk about it too much, but hopefully if this trip goes as planned, I would like to do a sporting diversity road trip 2021. And I want to go up through the Midwest and fish the driftless mm. and wind up over North Dakota and South Dakota and be pheasant hunting. Um, but it would be really nice to have somebody along who wanted to to take the time to side mission some large game along the way, at least for part of the trip or all the trip. I know this is a busy time of year for you, but uh, maybe you should be that person, man. Man, you know, the, the only thing that holds me back, other than being a horrible planner, um, is still trying to be a better deer hunter. Like... I feel like before I can put myself out there to do stuff like that, I feel like I need to be a better deer hunter. Like I'm going into October and I still don't have a deer on the ground. Like, and I've been, you know, five, six times in September and I'm just like, okay, I'm either, I don't know what I'm doing or I'm doing this wrong. Like, (laughs) and of course the worst, the worst thing you can do is, open up Instagram and Facebook and see people just saw like, Oh, I killed my first buck of the year. Oh, I killed my first doe of the year. And then it's just like, Oh my God. All right. What the hell? Like I didn't kill my first deer last year until December. And it wasn't because, oh, and it wasn't because I wasn't trying. Okay. It's what? Like, what? <laughs> like I'm, I'm still, I love it because it is the one thing that I can do. On my own, like, you know, when I first started, you know, like I said, I went on a lot of outfitted hunts and I would go, you know, to some of these places, have a great time, eat good, learn a lot, get put on some really good uh, game and be able, you know, to make the kill or take them down or whatever. But the one thing I do like about deer hunting is, you know, I can do it on my own. Like I can put the puzzle together on my own without somebody standing over my shoulder. It's taken me a lot longer, but it's something that I can do. You know what I mean? So back to your original thing, I would feel I feel like I need to be better at it before I'm like out here. Yeah, I'm on this trip and I'm doing the big game hunting side and we have not one big game in sight. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man. I, I think that if you were along, we'd make sure we got you on some games, you know. And, and and the thing about this trip is it's it's really not about being the best at anything. It's one of the things that I tell people all the time. I'm an okay fly fisherman. I mean, probably better than better than a lot, you know. But, so but Nick and I were standing. <laughs> Nick, Nick, and I, <laughs> Nick and I were standing on the side of the river, and I wasn't fishing, and he he wasn't either. And Nick's one of those guys who he was on the on the um, U.S. fly fishing team as a kid, and okay. like was on the cover of all the magazines when he was like eighteen years old, seventeen years old, right? And and his dad is a legend of fly fishing in New Mexico. And I looked at him and I said, you know, 
um, and, and the, uh, the other guys who are all age, they, they kind of came to fly fishing a little later in life. And I looked at Nick and I said, you know, I've been fishing for 30 years and I've been a beginner for 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) Says the guy with the outfitting business that people pay to come and get on good fish. So, you know, (laughs) excuse me if I don't if if I don't completely buy your whole, you know, modest act and stuff. I appreciate it. It's nice. It's humbling. (laughs) But, you know. If you yeah, didn't have like you know, a whole outfit, <laughs> I know, you know, it's, it's pretty, I mean, so I could fish, I could fish, but you know, I, but I get to fish with some guys like Nick who are humbling to me because I am a, I'm a good fisherman. I am. I don't say, I don't say that very often because I don't, it's not how I roll, but, right. but, but I do want to clear the air. I do know how to fly fish and I can get people on fish, but, but I get to fish in and around some people who are truly they are truly just gifted, amazing fly fishermen, and I and I'm humbled in their presence. And uh, but in the same with upland hunting, I'm a I'm a I'm a good upland hunter, um, but I get to get around people who are like you know, man, they're like the they're like the um, the LeBron James, you know, <laughs> right. um, of of the uplands, you know. And I'm and I'm truly humbled by these guys. Um, but what what I do is I do these things my way. And what I'm also good at is teaching people and telling them stories. The guides in the world are not necessarily the best. What they are is we're the best at teaching other people to do it. Mm, that's a good point. And, that's a good point. And that's what I want to be good at. That's what I want to be good at. What I, I don't want to be the best fisherman in the world. I want to be the best instructor. Um that's great. Yeah. That, yeah. That's great perspective when you actually think about it, because you don't hear a lot of people that say, you know, I want to be the best at teaching people. You know, people all the time talk about in the outdoors, you know, becoming like a quote unquote sportsman. And it's just, you know, about helping others and stuff. But you don't hear people say, like, I want to be like the best teacher or be you know a great teacher like just teaching somebody else like that that, that's pretty that's that's dope thanks i you know and and beyond that inspiring people who i can't come into contact with to help teach them i want to be known in in this industry as somebody who inspired people to go out there and, and do things because i was there helping to tell stories right and they're and they're leading by example and and that's what this road trip is about it's not about being catching the biggest fish or being the best fly fisherman or having the heaviest bag at the end of the day this is this is a journey about inspiration and the people who are listening and coming to into contact with us i hope they are inspired to know that no matter what you look like or where you come from or or how much money you got there is a way to figure out how to get out here and do this maybe not for 25 days but for two <laughs> two days right in a weekend of every month there's a way and if, if if you can't find that way then you can find me online and call me or email me and i'll help you find that way in the best that i can from where i'm at nice nice i like that that's a you while you were saying that i'm sitting here i'm picturing the commercial it's like you know if you can't find your way and if you can't help your way call me 
at Spokane Outfitters at two one zero. But no, that that that's truly, you know what what it is. Now we we said, you know, last time we were going to talk about fly fishing, and and we've mm-hmm. gotten a little bit into fly fishing. I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you this: yeah. if you are a first time, you walk into the store. Hopefully, mom and pop store fly fishermen or attempt to expire, uh, uh, aspiring fly fishermen, I should say. What is the one thing that you would tell any new person? Like, what is the what is the first thing that you need to do if you're starting out? The first thing is don't be intimidated. There's going to be a lot of flies all over. Um, there's going to be a lot of rods. There's going to be a lot of expensive price tags on fly rods. <laughs> do not, do not turn around and walk out because there is a rod that will be in your price range in there. There is, and you don't have to, and you're going to look at these little flies with feathers and, and, and deer fur and all the stuff on them. <laughs> and they're going to range from $4 to, to $20 sometimes for one little fly. And you're going to go, Oh my gosh. So look, the only thing you need to do is walk out of that store with an introductory fly rod. Most of the large producers make one where you can get a reel, a line, a rod, and that's what you're going to need for a hundred dollars masa minnows from it. Right. Mm. And you're only going to need five flies to get started. So you're probably going to be in a hundred up or down, and then you're probably going to be $25 in flies. You're going to need a little, a little dry fly float. Probably it's a little petroleum product that you put on to keep the the fly sitting on top of the water. And you're going to need some nippers and some hemostats and you're going to be out of there for under a couple hundred dollars. And it's not going to be easy to learn in the beginning, but if you have some patience and if you go to an Orvis store, they often have, uh, the, the beginner fly fishing classes there. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't remember if they're free or if they're just really inexpensive. I think they're like really inexpensive, like $5, but they could be free. even. I don't, I don't remember, but they're very inexpensive. Take one of those and learn how to cast the fly rod. <laughs> Um, we say save yourself the trouble. <laughs> yeah, save yourself the trouble. Take Orbis puts these things out there. I don't know if they're doing them in, in COVID times or, or not right now. Um, but, but you know, ask the fly shop guys, hey, can you give me some advice? This is where I'm thinking about fishing. You'll find that most people are super helpful. And if they're not helpful – Go to a different shop. I was about to say, go somewhere where they are. Yeah, That's right. Don't write it off. Don't write it off. Take your business. Take your money. Go somewhere else. Because you will find someone who's going to help you. And I'm going to tell you that fly fishing is one of those things that is very healing. Because it's meditative. You're out there. Um, Even if you're not, once you get good at casting the rod like me even if you're not catching fish you're just gonna look good out there (laughs) (laughs) so what (laughs) here's the 
thing that that's funny. Here's the thing that I've always kind of uh, wondered too, because not completely understanding it. What is the the difference between you know like your fly fishing and like regular fishing? I mean, I know you know you're gonna say the fly but like what does that mean like is it just all top water fishing is it what like what's yeah so here's the deal the the the, at the base level the difference between fly fishing and and regular or spin cast or bait bait cast fishing is with a spinning setup or a bait cast setup when you cast you have a weighted lure or weights on the end of the line and what your cast is doing is you're actually throwing the weight and the weight is carrying the velocity towards the water mm-hmm. with a fly rod. The fly is made of feathers and deer fur and things like that. And it weighs nothing. So what you're actually casting is the weight of the fly line itself. So that's why you see that back and forth and that whoosh, whoosh, movement of the, of the line is the line is what's delivering the fly. So that's the, that's the first difference, okay? okay? And what what happens is with the fly is you can fish below the water. Yeah, there's sinking tip line, there's streamers, there's nymphs. There are things that go below the water that you fish, and there are also dry flies, which sit on top of the water. With dry flies, I'll take for example, this presentation of a very thin, what we call leader, and then the tippet at the end of the leader. So you've got the fly line, which is stored on your fly reel. You have the fly rod, which bends in a way to build the kinetic energy to sling the fly line, the weight of it forward. And as the fly line unravels on the water, the, the leader, which is a very fine monofilament, um, will unravel and gently set the fly down. So it's the okay. idea of trying to mimic a fly delicately landing on a stream. Ah, okay. So and then the fly lands on the stream, fish comes up, it's like, oh, dinner, and then snatches it. That's then, right. Nice. Okay. So I like I said, I never completely understood, you know, like the differences or whatever. So that okay. It makes sense now. Yeah, and what's cool about it is what I find is going from bait to to soft tackle lures light tackle um lures is you to flies is the flies you're then trying to duplicate the insects that are on the stream right where you're fishing or what what the what the what that fish is eating even with bass now you can get a reactionary strike out of a bass because they're territorial and they're aggressive and out of trout too um, on something that just looks like something that just makes them angry. And they're like, I'm going to eat it. Um, but when you really get into like, I want to catch this fish, not on a reactionary strike, but on a, I have tricked this fish into thinking that this thing that I'm delivering to them is food. Traditionally with, with spin casting, you're getting a lot of reactionary strikes with flashy spinners and things like that. Mm-hmm. But with fly fishing, you're like, I want to make this look as much like your food as possible. And what happens on that journey is you then start having to, you're forced to pay attention to what is in the river and what Ah. are these things eating. And now you are forced to learn biology and ecology. And now 
you start caring because you start seeing, well, how come these things are here and they're not here? They used to be here. They're supposed to be here this time of year. Why is this insect? And you start looking at diversity and you start looking at how many different insects or or um, uh, fish, fish or frogs or what is going on on the side of the stream. And so that that is where you start really geeking out and becoming really in tune with what's going on. And it sets the stage for you to be a conservationist, to really to really care about these uh, waterways. Wow. And that That's amazing how you put it together like that, because truly it, it is. Like you said, you, you sit there and if you're doing, you know, fly fishing, you're putting it on the stream and it's like, OK, well, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're biting this today. They're they're taking this today, whether it's like you said, reactionary or it's like, OK, they think it's food. But then maybe like something changed in the river or the stream that you're fishing and maybe they don't want that. So then now you got to figure out what else, you know, or what they do want or what will, what will work or what will bite. And then like you said, that's where paying attention to the environment and the ecology, the same thing, deer hunting, you know, like uh, for what ever, you know, for what it's worth, you know, people, you know, put out like corn or put out feeders or whatever. And at the beginning of, you know, the season and stuff, they're hitting the feeders pretty hard. Then all of a sudden, the acorns drop. Then your corn mm-hmm. is just kind of just hanging out because they don't <laughs> care about your corn because the acorns have dropped. So it's like you mm-hmm. find where the acorns are, you find where the deer are. Sounds good mm-hmm. in theory. You would think I, you know, applied this theory and would be more successful, but that's another story for another day. But it goes <laughs> along to your point, you know, when things in the environment change, it changes how the animals reacts to them which in turns changes how you hunt and or fish them absolutely and with fishing it happens hourly so and that's that's banana that's even more bananas it is because like there's like there could be flies there could be a hatch of some mayflies and like it may only last an hour and all of a sudden if you're trout fishing that's what trout are eating because there's abundant amount of them and, and with a fly, what you're trying to do is mimic the pattern of what a mayfly looks like sitting on top of the water, which is why it's got all those feathers and that deer hackle is those things touch the water and make an impression that looks like that bug from underneath the fish. And once you get into this granular level where you're just looking at what's going on in the stream by the hour, um, it's pretty cool. And if imagine if you were in the woods one year and None of the trees had oak acorns on them. You would stop and go, okay, what's wrong? Right. And if that happened two years, you would go, huh. And on the third year, you would say, I got to do something about this. There's something wrong. Right. There's no acorns. And that's how, that's how fly fishermen are in tune with the rivers they fish. Because when they, when the, when they see the stream biology getting off, you know, getting, getting astray, they then say, okay, I'm watching. And when they see that it's a negative trend, then they're like, let's do something about this. All right. All right. And that's, that's where that fly angling community, men, women, and, 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 and the more people that care about it and do it that represent, you know, America and the more people's voices who are shown, because it's, it's really one of the things. And I, I know we're getting to the top of the hour here, but, I want to say that there are so many black people, brown people, uh, Asian people, 
There are so many men and women. There's gender diversity in these sports, and it's existed forever. And I was talking about it yesterday. And there have been black people and brown people who got to shoot stuff and fish to put food on the table. Yep. And before that, you had the indigenous peoples of America hunting this whole land. We've been here the whole time. And, and on this tour, I want to show that we're out here. I want to talk about that we're out here. Um, and I want to get the marketing machine to point in at us because what I believe happened in, in a lot of these sports, hunting and fishing, is somebody at a marketing table decided that our primary customer is white and male. And that's so that's what they showed. Right. Right. And therefore, our population, the diverse population, sort of shied away from these things because the marketing machine wasn't showing us. So they conditioned us to think that that's who it was. And if we change that dialogue, if we shift that narrative to show that we're out here, then hopefully that'll be inspiring and opening the door for other people. And it will change the way this looks. And there will be a diverse amount of people and a diverse amount of people will equate to protecting the diversity of our wild places and ultimately the health of our planet. And it's crazy because I always tell people, you know, they're like, well, black people don't hunt or, or, you know, black people fish, but they don't hunt. It's like, okay, either you've never picked up a history book or talked to anybody who's been on this earth, you know, 50, 60 plus years because just because they're not taking pictures for social media or, you know, posting mm -hmm. things all over everywhere. You have to remember there was a time where the only way you ate, the only way you survived was growing gardens, was hunting and fishing and, mm -hmm. you know, processing your own food and stuff like that. That actually happened like before, you know, there was a Walmart or a Piggly Wiggly or, you know, whatever, <laughs> like insert grocery store here you know what i mean like so it, it's always like i said it's one of those things to me that i'm always just kind of shake my head at it's like well what do you think happened before like all of this stuff you know to think that <laughs> this this is like some kind of new phenomenon and i mean and you can even take it back further a lot of the best hunters back in the slavery times were the you know the slaves or the indigenous mm -hmm. people because they were the ones that knew the land and would take you know the slave masters or the white folks out you know mm -hmm. pheasant hunting or bird hunting or whatever because mm -hmm. they were the actual hunters that knew the land so i mean mm -hmm. like, i don't understand and sometimes how people they don't grasp like the full perspective no they don't and the, the reality is look going all the way back to prehistoric time you know, the beginning of, of man. Exactly. If, if black people, brown people didn't hunt, we wouldn't be here, man. <laughs> I guess so simple. Know? It is a simple concept. So when you fast forward to, you know, now and you ignorantly say, like, our demographic is, you know, 30 to 54 year old white males or, you know, 21 to 45 year old white males. It's just like, okay, you completely missing the boat. But you know, if that's what your quote unquote research shows, then you need to get better research. <laughs> I think, I think that that model came out of is, is, is part of a dying model that came out of 
the European aristocratic nobility system where um, lords and only only the noble class hunted the lands and and the noble class looked a certain way in Europe. And um, I think that I think that that's where this this concept came from, to tell you the truth. I think it was brought over to the Americas um, with that European structure yeah. and it's going away and we're getting rid of it and it has no place anymore. And so that, that's just that man. Yep. Time, time, time is up. Josh, before I get you <laughs> out of here, closing thoughts, whatever, make sure you, uh, plug the podcast, like where people can find you, man. Just let's, let's put the wrap up this <laughs> trip and, and you know, the, the excitement and the awesomeness of things to come for this trip. Well, you can find our podcast. We've got, we've got a bunch more days out here on the road. We're headed to Colorado today. Um, we'll be in Montana, Wyoming and Idaho. We're going to be doing everything from showcasing some, some really nice lodges to camping in some BLM. And then also a jet boating, up the salmon river with our dogs 25 miles into the frank church wilderness to uh upland hunt chucker and steelhead fish so there's a lot of really cool adventures coming and you can follow them um on instagram at spoke hollow outfitters um facebook spoke hollow outfitters um there's a new instagram coming up at sporting diversity doesn't have posts but it's out there and it will start getting data into it um those are the primary modalities to follow along with us on this journey. And then our podcast is currently hosted on uh, Spotify. Um, but if you're on those other modalities, you'll get links. Those links will be in the bios to get you over to the latest episodes. And the, the, uh, the podcast with the sporting diversity podcast, correct? The sporting diversity podcast. That's right. Um, on Spotify and Spoke Hollow Outfitters on Facebook and Instagram or Sporting Diversity on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Josh, it is always good to talk to you, man. One of these days we're going to meet face-to-face because I do want to try fly fishing. I, I feel like that's something that like, once I do it a few times, I'm probably going to end up being hooked to it. it it's funny because you know when I first started, you know, everybody was always like duck hunting. Like I really wanted to duck hunt and get into duck hunting. And then I began to understand the undertaking that duck hunting is and the time spent to be really, really good at it. And then when I lived in uh, Milwaukee, I found a really awesome goose hunt outfit and I became in love with goose hunting. It's like, I don't even want to go hunt ducks. It's like, I enjoy you know, goose hunting. I feel like fly fishing is going to be one of those things like, wow, everybody's talking about bass and catfish and all that stuff. I'm going to be trying to figure out how to go west to stand on the river and fly fish. I, I just have a feeling like once I actually try it and understand it, I feel like it's going to be something that that I'm going to like. So I, I wish you the best on this trip, man. We will definitely keep in touch. I will check in with you just to kind of see how things are going, following you on Instagram and everything. And as always, man, I appreciate you taking the time coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It was always wonderful to catch up with you. Josh, be safe out there. Catch some trout and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks.
Brightland. Man, what a conversation with old Josh there. I really enjoyed talking to him, catching up with him as he is embarking on this Sporting Diversity Road Tour 2020. Man, it's going to be an exciting thing. I really encourage you guys to follow along at the places where he dropped in the podcast on his Instagram. Listen to the podcast, the Sporting Diversity podcast that he's got out on Spotify. Man, like I said, champion diversity, inclusion, and conservation in the outdoors is what, you know, Josh is all about, man. Really enjoy talking to that guy and wishing him all the success on this current trip, man. That is a hellacious trip that he is embarking on with him and his friends. Before I get ready to get up on out of here, man, just want to drop a couple of things for y'all. Brightlandcountry.com is the website. Brightlandcountry.com. We got everything Brightland that you need. We got merch. We got past podcasts. We got videos. Make sure you are going out and checking Brightlandcountry.com. You get everything Brightland that you need. Want to send a big shout out to the folks at Onyx Hunt that sponsor the podcast, the number one hunting app, Onyx Hunt, know where you stand. Make sure y'all go out, download that application, man. That even for off-roaders, they have a version for off-roaders. Obviously, they got the regular Onyx Hunt maps for us hunters. It is a must-have. I do not leave home without it. We are a Traeger Grills ambassador. We are a part of the Traeger Nation. I implore you to enjoy a Traeger Grill. Get out, join the Traeger Nation, get some Traeger smoke going. Thank you to Traeger Grills. And welcome again to Iris Setter Boots, a partner with the Bryantland brand and of the Bryantland podcast. The Bryantland Show. Thank you, Irish Setter Boots, and we urge you to check them out. We're going to come back next week. We are going to have another great show. I urge you to tell five people, to tell five more people about the Bryantland Show. Come in, listen, enjoy what we're doing, and come back here next week for another episode of the Bryantland Show.